0: Good morning everyone, my name's Gabe and I'll be doing the Bible reading today from Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 to 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Who not, do, not know they do, wrong. do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mother lead you into sin. Your mouth, what? (laughs) What (laughs) Mouth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry Mom. I'm sorry Mom. Don't lead me into sin okay Mouth, do not let your mouth lead you into sin <laughs> And do not protest to the temple messenger My vow was a mistake Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands Much dreaming and many words are meaningless Therefore fear God
1: Thanks, Gabe, and uh, good morning, everyone. (laughs) Um, Yes, I wonder what happens in the family conversation after Sunday morning, (laughs) maybe not so much before. (laughs) Yeah, Dad, you did well. (laughs) Yes, uh, I'm Etienne, yeah, Uh, what we're going to do for the next bit of this service is talk through... uh, a part of the Bible, uh, it's called Ecclesiastes. As a church, we've done it for the last few weeks and we're sort of gradually just seeing um, essentially what is the difference that gets made when you add God to various things in your life. On day one, we said, you know, just on life as a whole, if you add God, it changes from meaningless to meaningful. And then we talked about what what happens when you add God to uh, the issue of pleasure, seeking pleasure. Last week we looked at what happens when you add God to the issue of work. How does God want to change work to add meaning, value and purpose to it? And today um, we're going to look at, as you already heard, the issue of worship. And you kind of almost think that automatically God will be part of worship. Well, how can you have worship without God being added to it? But as it turns out, that's not necessarily the case. (laughs) So much so that the writer of Ecclesiastes says, we need to think about this a bit. How do you have worship that has God added to it? That's what the thoughts are that we're going to unpack this morning. Uh, Just before I race into it, I want to just invite you um, and have you invite others for next week. I just want to do a plug. Next week, I really look forward to, we're going to look at what does the teacher have to say to us about old age, seniors. You know, being in the last chapter of your life, and I want to send a plug out because I know that for a lot of uh, people, perhaps in your family, perhaps to do with Pathway, you know, coming to church is already quite a struggle. They're, they're, They're that far down life. But maybe if next week is this, special effort, I guess, or if we can put in the effort to to bring whoever here who otherwise can't get here without help uh, normally, uh, I trust, I hope, it would be very encouraging for them. Uh, Or if you even would like to stay home with someone who can dial in on Zoom, uh, what happens when we add God to getting old, right? Uh, And That's going to be, I personally think, quite special and just want to throw that out at the outset of today to keep that in the back of your mind. If we can enable someone in your family, in your friendship circles to be here or access on Zoom, I trust, I hope that would be really helpful and encouraging for them as they battle what surely is one of the hardest seasons of life. All right. But today, we're in on worship. This should be uh, somewhat shorter than the others, but useful nonetheless. Okay. I'm going to kick us off with the first verse um, that says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. If you're with us today and you're not a Christian, I'd really love you to take what I say and see if you can form a picture of what is supposed to happen when Christians get together for worship. So that that would be firstly and primarily for church, doing what we're doing now on a Sunday morning. But it also applies to when Christians gather in smaller groups from there, for Bible study groups or small groups or discipleship groups. It also applies for your own prayer life or if you meet individually with another person to pray and to worship. Uh, it applies to all these settings. See if you can form a picture of, because you might not get it, what is supposed to happen when Christians gather for worship? And I want to talk to you again in the end um, to, to invite you into that in a way, if, if it makes sense, and if you're drawn to it. If you are a Christian, obviously, uh, this plugs directly into you to, to just say three things from this passage about perhaps what we need to check in on when it comes to worship. What are some of the things that need to be part of our experience when we come to church to worship, when we go to small group, when we go to uh, uh, meet with a Christian friend for mentoring, even your own private devotions, okay? So three things come out of the passage. Number one, come expecting to hear and to see. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Come expecting to hear and to see. When I say see, I'm not talking about using your eyes to watch what happens. Yes, that's part of it, but I, but I just for clarity mean that there's something with our hearts deep within us that are supposed to see something with the eyes of faith about who God is about what he has done. I I, I dare say even that when we come to church, there is supposed to be something of an experience of the living God himself. There's a very real supernatural element and aspect to what is supposed to happen when we gather for worship, and, and a lot of it comes down to the expectations that we bring here on a Sunday morning when we come. The question is, for us, do we come to church on a Sunday morning, expecting that today, today I'm going to I'm going to get to encounter, experience, see, behold. Remember that song that we just sang, "Come and behold him?" It's a fascinating word. It means "Come and just stand and marvel at the majesty and the beauty and the glory of God in His presence. There's something of that that is supposed to happen every time we we gather as a church, right? And there's a a kind of a bit of a preparation to get into that, into getting to that point. I'm going to tell you what, uh, and I may have shared this in the past already, one of the great um, Christian thinkers over history is a guy called John Owen. He, 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 he talked about when he prays, how do you pray in a way that you encounter the living God every time you pray? And I'll talk about every time later because it doesn't actually happen every time, <laughs> what to do about that. But, but he's, he's, um, he steps, if you like, and I can't give you all the details. That's for a workshop or, or something else. another He said when he sits down to pray, the first thing he does is he calls it fixing the mind. He says, you've got, to, you've got to have your mind available to concentrate on the Word of God that you're going to read. Right? You've got to take it in, pay attention, have our minds fully devoted to it. That's why quiet time should be quiet time. No distractions. His next step that he says is we've got to incline our hearts. He says, it's not about information, it's ultimately about what goes on in our hearts. He gives a few exercises or a few questions you can ask yourself once you've read a passage, you understand with your mind what's going on there, you've figured it out. What does it mean? What does this tell me about who God is? What are the implications of what I just read or understood or what what the preacher said or what we've just sung? And he said if that happened well... One of two things are going to happen in your experience. His words are these. He says, either you're going to be thrust into a position where you're going to enjoy God. You're just going to feel a certain sense of the fullness, the joy, the happiness, the fulfillment. This is manifesting sometimes in here or in your prayer life in tears, or in laughter, or in joy, or more often than not, you want, to, you want to break out singing, because that's, I think, the result of when we step into the joyful presence of the glory and the beauty of God. Sometimes it's just silence. Enjoying God. <laughs> that's the aim of your prayer life. It's the aim of what happens here. right? But of course, you know and I know, it doesn't always happen. In fact, it doesn't happen nearly as much as we want it to happen, need it to happen, right? The other side of that, John Owen says, you're either going to enjoy God or you're going to be in a position of what he calls crying out. The mind was fixed. Our hearts were inclined to receive God, but he's, it's not that He's not there. our enjoyment of Him. Is not there in the moment. What do we do? John says we we cry out to him. This is the Psalms, right? God, I restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I just, (laughs) this this is not joyful. and, 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 And to be sure, God uses those periods of droughts to form us and shape us. But we've got to call it for what it is. Don't fake the joy. Don't pretend that it's there. This is a place of struggle and frustration and pain, and I think the same can be said of our encounter for for, for church on Sunday mornings, quite often, maybe for seasons. um, We might leave here crying out and say, God, I, I, I don't hear or see anything of you. Don't linger in it. Ask him to restore your joy and come back to it again next time. If this persists for the rest of your life, well, there's deeper issues. We need to work with this spiritually. We need to look at why is it that there is no joy that I get from the worship of God when I go to the house of God, okay? Usually, if we come prepared to fix our minds, to incline our hearts, to hear the word, a desire to see God, we will. And unrealistic. It's not always... The peaks are not always equally high. Sometimes it's, it's, it's just something of God, some new aspect of God that we've never seen or heard or, or thought about. Uh, it's moderate sometimes. But on the whole, <laughs> most of the times we come to church expecting to hear, expecting to see we should walk away in a better spiritual state than what we came in. We should walk away and go, wow, you know what? That was, that was good. I don't even know why, but it was good. I feel better. Because I met with God, because something supernatural took place, because He was here, and I was here, and we worshipped Him, and there was healing, and it was empowering. And yes, of course, let me just say this is where church also needs to continue to keep growing. How do we worship in ways that ensures that that actually happens? I want to read to you uh, on two parts today. Part, uh, membership, Ryan, welcome few people into membership. If you've been through the process, you know that we sort of. Talk about a commitment that we need to make to Pathway. If you're a member, I'm going to read a bit about that in the end. But Pathway also makes a commitment to you, right? It says this: Pathway to Life Christian Reformed Church accepts you into the church family as a professing and communicant member. We pledge our commitment and support to you. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we will commit and do our best to do the following: to welcome you warmly, to care for you, to teach you the Word faithfully. Effective and godly oversight. We want to help you to discover your gifts, equipping you to serve others in appropriate ways, providing ways for you to serve others, equipping you to be a more effective witness for Christ. We want to introduce you to Jesus if you haven't been. We want to assist you in introducing others to Jesus. Really, we want to help you to hear and see God. And we work on that all the time. <laughs> More and more. How can we be more helpful? How can we help each of you to come expecting to hear and see and actually hear and see the living God? That's number one. Number two. When we come to worship on a Sunday morning, speak only what you truly mean. Sounds so simple. So simple, and yet it is so hard. Don't be quick with your mouth. Don't be hasty in your heart. Don't utter anything before God, which, you know, makes you sort of say, well, is this about amount of words? Is this about how much I talk in prayer? Is this about the guy who preaches, who says a lot, Right? This is not about amount of words. Let me assure you, I think what it really wants to get to is sincerity. We shouldn't say anything to God that we don't really mean. We shouldn't fake prayers. I don't know if you've been in a prayer setting, if you were, if you're happy, the person who pray out loud before people, uh, where, you know, we would say, okay, let's pray, and nobody prays. And in the end, you just say something because, well, somebody's got to say something. <laughs> and, and I've always thought to myself, that I, I, I have done it and probably still fall victim to it sometimes, and you think, it's not sincerity, right? I think all the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying to us, we're better off not saying anything rather than just saying something for the sake of it. We want to think about our hearts. We want to think, is, is what I'm going to say, do I truly mean it? Do I, is there a disconnect between what I'm going to say and what I truly feel? You see, if there's a disconnect about what you're saying and what you're truly feeling, you know what your relationship with God is going to lack? Intimacy. Authenticity. We're not going to encounter God. We're not going to hear Him. We're not going to see Him. Not if we're not truthful with Him about what we truly think, feel. Right? Sincerity is the name of the game is what the teacher is saying to us. If you want to worship God, worship Him sincerely, authentically. Don't fake it. And even if that means there's hard stuff you've got to say, then do it. And the second thing that comes out of this little passage is is he says, not only do we need to be sincere, but we have to remember who it is we're talking to. Who is it when we come here on a Sunday morning that we're speaking to? What is it, if I can put it so crudely? See, if we are mindful every single time before I dare speak to God about who he is, my prayer life's going to change, right? Now, there's two things I want to just quickly unpack here. The first thing there, because there's mistakes we can make here in the first place. Let's let's read the verse. Koelef, the guy who writes it, says, "God is in heaven and you're on earth, so let your words be few." <laughs> God is in heaven. You're on earth. God is transcendent, God is big, God is the creator of the universe, God is the one who made you, God is the one who made everything, God is the sovereign who's in control of all things that happens in the earth and in your life, as we said last week, and he makes it all work out for the good of those who love him. God is transcendent, he is majestic, he is like the sun, if you want to picture an image there. This is, this is the person who you're talking to, right? And yet at the same time, it's not just transcendence. The fancy word is also imminence. That great God comes to us in his son Jesus. That great God becomes one of us. That great God lives like one of us, dies for us, is raised to life, then fills us with his spirit, and he comes so close. He's so far away, and yet he is so close. Both at the same time. If you if you don't hold those two things together in your prayer life, you're gonna you're gonna have a warped prayer life that's gonna be inauthentic, you're not gonna hear God, you're not gonna see him. Here's what I mean. If you only ever see God as transcendent and far away and great and glorious, you're gonna see him as cold and distant. You're only ever gonna say the right prescribed things to him. Right? He's never gonna be near you to, you're never going to tell him about, you know, the pain you're feeling about your girlfriend that's not liking you. Or whatever it is that is intimate and details that you need him here and now, close to you, right? You're only going to ever, he's always going to be a bit distant. At the same time, if you only ever see him as close to you, you're going to end up making him into a teddy bear or, or a pet that you could put a leash on. He becomes like a therapist, a therapist that is nice to have close by and a teddy bear, but that teddy bear lacks all power and glory and greatness. He's the one who serves you instead of you serving him who is so great in heaven while you are on earth. Right? And if you go the other way around, again, just repeating the mistake, you're going you're to have a God that is glorious and great and big and mighty and you're going to be enthralled in his worship. Yet, you're going to lack that intimacy. God is both things, right? And so when we keep that in mind and we pray and we come here on a Sunday morning thinking this is who he is, I think our prayer life becomes right and rich. It it nudges us in the right track. We understand that God is in heaven. We are on earth. Yet we live in the time that the teacher did not. We know that he also came to earth we know that he is also on earth with us today as we worship, right? That's number two. Number three, before we finish up. Be faithful to the promises you made before God. I had to grapple with this one a bit. I wasn't quite sure what to do with it, to be honest. Um, This talks about making a vow to God. The reason why it's a bit awkward is in... The days when this was written, it worked a bit different to the way things work now. The church or the place of worship is where people publicly declare their commitment. So, I don't know, um, one of us would have had to say, you know, this week I am going to, um, I'm going to pray every day of the week for an hour. And I would share that with all of you here. And there would be people here whose job it is... (laughs) You check in with me during the week to say, have you done that? <laughs> the temple messengers, that's sort of their job. It's weird to us, but it's how it worked back in the day. Some of it was probably really a good thing, to be honest. Because when you actually said something, it mattered. When you made a commitment, it mattered. Now, we don't kind of do that anymore nowadays. In our individualized society, you make your own commitments and rarely anyone ever checks on whether you're keeping them up or not, right? So, I'm not saying we should go back that way or not, but I, but I try to think about what are the vows or the promises or the commitments that we make before God publicly that we need to be faithful to? Because that's what the teacher is saying. Be faithful to the promises you made before God. And I came to the conclusion I'm not really talking here about whether I'm making a commitment to go and run three times this week, even though that is a spiritual commitment because I want to be healthy and worship God with my body and so forth, you know, I don't need to be too big about that. I'll distill it down to vows that are very heavy and weighty. So let me take you through three of those. Number one, you know, in a few weeks' time, we're going to baptize a few people. Some are going to profess their faith. They're in that group. You're going to make a vow. You're going to publicly make a promise to God. You're going to say, I'm committing my life to live under your lordship, to worship you. Many of us have made that vow a long time ago in our lives. We need to be reminded of that time and time again. How are you fulfilling that vow, right? And I think that's where some of the stuff with membership, again, I want to just read it out for us because we, we do it and forget about it, right? Here's what we say. Here are some of the things when we vow to follow Jesus and vow to do so as part of a church family that we commit to, right? It's a bunch of bullet points. Can you just think for me how you perhaps are tracking or where you feel you might need to grow and improve or return to? Right? here's what we say, I agree to participate by attending church faithfully, worshipping with my brothers and sisters faithfully, acting in love towards other members, speaking the truth in love at all times, and refusing to gossip, following godly leaders, praying for our church's spiritual growth and maturity. I agree, I vow essentially, that I want to discover the gifts, the talents that God has given me. I want to be equipped to serve and use what God has given me in his service. I want to develop a servant's heart, and I want to be an effective witness for Christ. I want to tell others or grow in how I can live as a witness of Christ effectively. I want to live a godly life, I want to be generous, give regularly of my time, my finances. I want to invite unchurched people into the life of the church and its people. I want to warmly welcome those who visit. I want to pray faithfully for the salvation of those who don't know Christ. And I want to make Christ known through my words and my actions. If we intend to follow through, and then we should, is what Solomon's saying, or, or whoever wrote this is saying to us, right? That's a vow that we've made. The other vow you've made, a couple of them, and I don't have time to, to totally go through them, but I just want to park them there. Marriage. Marriage is a public vow. Painful, perhaps, particularly in light of so much brokenness in marriage, and that's why it's a painful thing, because these are public vows we make. If you're working through the difficulty of marriage separation, you know, and I pray that God would give you the grace and how to steer that. If your marriage is not broken up at the moment, would you take your vows seriously? Would you invest and prioritise? Being faithful to the vows we made publicly before God. Right? These are public vows. Parents and children, we baptise our kids. We make public vows to God that we will so order our lives to lead them to come to know Christ. Are you doing that? Is your life so ordered and arranged to lead your kids to Christ? Are you opening the word with them? Are you praying with them? Are you too busy? I don't know. There's so much we can unpack here, and I'm being very skimpy going over but i'm simply checking in on the pulse of these three p- three places three core places of life where we make public vows have vows to be part of god's church and live as children of him have vows to love within the context of marriage and the covenant our love our vows our promise to love children who grow up in the context of the covenant community that god would help us to make good on those vows is what point three is, is what Solomon says. If God is part of our, of our worship, this is what we will do, right? So let me finish up. I'm going to wrap up. We've said three things. Uh, come to worship expecting to hear and see. Speak only what you truly mean. Number three, be faithful to the promises you made to or before God. Okay? Let's wrap up by simply asking this, what if, actually not what if, I'm failing. (laughs) Because that's true. (laughs) It's not what if I'm failing, but what about my failures? I'm not living up to my vows. I'm not always coming expecting to see in here. I always speak without actually meaning. We pull up short. We, we, We fail in this. And that's where we've got to finish with with the glory of the gospel, is that we're reminded that nobody has done it perfectly except for one. Yeah, this is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all the broken vows that we have broken. He's the one who lived perfectly as a child of God. He's the one who was always faithful uh, in whatever covenant you know, promises he's made. He wasn't married, but if he was, he would have lived that out perfectly as the perfect spouse, perfect church member, and we are in him. It is his righteousness. His success in these things that are our success. (laughs) We haven't managed it, but he did, and then he gives us all the credit for it. Right? He says, I'll take your failures, and you have my perfection. And so we don't rest in the fact that we've managed this. We rest in the fact that Christ has managed this. And from there we proceed in the wonderful assurance that it is that same Jesus who comes to us and says, let me help you. Let me work with you. Let me work with you through the pain of the brokenness. Let me help you to become a better worshiper on a Sunday morning. Let me help you to become a better prayer. Let me help you to become a better spouse. Let me help you to become a better parent. Again and again, without fail, he comes to us and says, you're forgiven, remember, It's done. You were complete. You already succeeded. Now let me help you again, more, more, and more. And on that note, I want to invite you as well, if you don't know God, would you please perhaps consider that worship can be a truly life-changing event. There is a God who wants to speak to you. There is a God whom you're supposed to see. And no, in fact, he wants to live in you. There's a God whom you can have an intimate relationship with. There's a God who offers forgiveness of all failures and help in all things in life. If at any point you were interested in knowing more about him, about that, would you talk to the Christian people in your life? Would you ask them to help you? Would you ask them to listen to you? Even today, after this service, I'd love to hear from you, if that is you. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that you call us into worship. We know that we fail. We know that those who lead in worship, fail. We know that those who worship, fail. And yet, and yet, You have not failed, Lord Jesus. you fulfilled everything as the perfect worshipper. And you still do before the throne in our place. Will you help us? Will you allow us? Will you shape us into people who worship you powerfully? Will you help us every time we enter into worship alone, in groups, in pairs, on a Sunday morning, Lord, may the majority of our encounters be such that we we hear you, we see you. May the majority of our speech before you be authentic, be real, be intimate. And Father, as we respond to the grace that you gave us in Jesus, will you help us to work out how to faithfully live to the promises we made to you.